0: This is the Grow My Clinic podcast by Clinic Mastery, where we help you deliver amazing client experiences to grow your clinic. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Grow My Clinic podcast. My name is Jack O'Brien. Thank you for sharing your earbuds with us today as you drive or hit the treadmill at the gym or go for a walk with the dog, whatever it might be. Today, we've got a a fascinating story uh, of of a friend of mine, Uh, who's in my local region, and he's also got some incredible insights into um, multidisciplinary care centre and uh, the full extent of multidisciplinary care. We have Simon Ashley joining us on the podcast from Attune Health Centres around the Newcastle region. Simon, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. My pleasure. This is going to be a whole lot of fun. So, before we dive too deep into it, can you tell us a little bit about, uh, Simon, actually, how you were corrupted, uh, you're an osteopath by trade, so how did you end up in osteopathy? I am, look, I, oh, look, I started out, I was a farm boy in Victoria,
1: and uh, my dad blew two discs um, out in his back when I was about seven, um, and so he was incapacitated for about a month in hospital, and then he recovered, and being a farmer, you just have to get back into it, um, and also being a farmer, we didn't have any money, so... Pretty much, I started treating him. I watched what the physios did, because that's all we had back where we were, and right. I sort of started mimicking that and copying it, and by the time I was 16, Dad wouldn't go anywhere else, so I was definitely going to become a health profession in that area, in the manual therapies, and that was just a natural progression. Osteo, it just jumped out at me pretty much in year 12. I hadn't even heard of an osteopath until I was in year 12, and I just love the philosophy um, with a holistic approach to healthcare, looking at the whole body. Um, and really addressing all those factors to bring about um, health, health and healing. And so I jumped into osteo and, and I've loved it ever since.
0: Okay. And for the uneducated or the uninitiated, I'm sure there's, uh, <laughs> there's plenty of physiotherapists here who will be listening who maybe think they're yeah. the, the top of the tree, I think is the stereotype when it comes to physios. How would you describe physio and osteo and the differences between those or what makes osteo unique?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a great question. And I think we all... Struggle with answering that one. But um, look, I work with um, Nine Physio. So mm-hmm. we have a great working relationship. And I have found that there is a really good synergy that you can create between the two. So as a general rule, and look, everyone is different. Like, you know, everyone has their slants and their things that they do. But on a general rule, physios tend to focus a lot more on the rehab side of things and the muscular activation and all that type of stuff. Of mm-hmm. And often you would diagnose a condition in a completely opposite framework to say an osteopath who is very manual we're very much looking at the structure of the body how the joints work how the muscles are all functioning correlation to those joints um, and we all focus very much on a manual type of addressing of that condition whereas you, you physios tend to come from the opposite way so yeah and we're very holistic an osteopath if you've got a t- tennis elbow we'll be checking your neck out we'll be checking your thoracic mechanics because that can alter the way you know everything is functional right down into that hand so yeah so very like very much complementary though. I think all health professions have their place, and if we understand what our scope is, we all fit together.
0: Mm, I love that, and uh, I must say, I'm a physiotherapist. For those listening, as I take a friendly jab at physios at the top of the call here, uh, it's all fun and games here. We're pretty we're pretty friendly across the Grand Line Clinic podcast. So that's really interesting, Simon. And then the progression from studying osteopathy, headed towards private practice. What was the inspiration? behind starting your own clinic?
1: Yeah, look, um, I was—I uh, nearly died when I was 19. I actually was a top tennis player um, and I got very ill. Um, had a spontaneous pneumothorax, which I lived with for about two weeks, which became a tension pneumothorax. And look, my journey through hospital was very unique in the fact that I had doctors arguing with one another because I hadn't talked and it was very much, I was a number, I wasn't a person, I didn't have feelings. And just my whole journey through really showed me that You know, as much as I thought, wow, I'm in the health profession, I'm going to change the world, then all of a sudden it all came crashing down. That Well, we actually, it's very a bit bit dysfunctional and there's some problems here that, and I saw an opportunity in a way to, you know, really integrate care and individualize it and really try to educate your clients. And so from my experience, um, I always dreamed of building integrated medical centers because I saw the need to actually bring care to the person and bring all these incredible people together, working together. I mean, the power of that is so significant. If you've got 10 minds or four minds working on one person, it's so better than so much better than just one doing their own thing. So, so I sort of got this heart to see integrated care um, rolled out. And so that's why I wanted to start my own business because I really had plans to have integrated centers.
0: Mm, I love that. And I think that would really resonate with a lot of listeners that there's a personal experience that draws out in us a frustration to make the industry better. Uh, So I love that. And and again, for listeners, make sure you stick around because we're going to be talking about a a true multidisciplinary center, including GPs and integrated health and all sorts of things. So Simon, what's that journey been like from being the clinician to now being the, the clinic owner, having 10 20 50 staff whatever it's up to now what's that journey been like and what is the current state of the union for attune as yes. much as you can share awesome oh, i'd love to look um it's been an amazing journey
1: it's been an exciting ride to be honest because um i got to a point where i had this realization that i had to be a business owner i had to run a business and not just be a clinician because it was growing quite quickly and to keep things going and to keep things growing and maintained I went to business school, essentially. I just I did a degree just to learn business. I was already doing it, but just to frame it. And it's been an exciting journey in the fact that I've been learning a lot of stuff, bringing multiple people together. We've got 15 different health professions all working together now from medical specialists right through to GPs and massage therapists. So when you've got such a wide variety of very highly trained people, um, mm. actually getting them to work together and not just work in a building, which is really the case in most of these, super centers is quite a trick Mm -hmm. so you've got to work hard at the business side of things you've got to work hard at creating that culture to actually bring about something that is a bit unique and a bit different and so it's been very challenging it's not an easy thing Uh, there's a lot of patience involved a lot of thinking about everybody else rather than what you think but look it's also been extremely exciting and love the journey Um, and now at June we have uh, yeah as you said we have 50 staff we've got another eight joining us next year um, of those, I think around about forty are clinical, and the rest are admin. So um, we're certainly we're certainly building quite a substantial team now, and you can start feeling the momentum of what this integrated care can actually bring for the community. So it's exciting.
0: Mm, I love that. What would you say have been the two biggest lessons you've learned in leadership of developing a team of that size and caliber?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, look, I would say the two biggest lessons: one, have a vision that is far beyond uh, like a vision that's right out there. Something that yeah. really captures people's attentions and really draws people in that they want to be a part of. That's um, bigger than you. It's bigger than them. It's bigger than anyone. And being very clear about that and understanding what that looks like, like um, I think is really important in my early days. I had an idea in my head. I always did, but it wasn't refined. It didn't have the values behind it and all that sort of thing. And so the refining process was really important. And that came to the second thing is actually saying what you, you know, you put up like, you know, your values, actually living those out every yeah. single day and how you teach culture and how you build culture um, and develop that is so important in a business because you can, you can do the clinical services, but if you've got this culture that underpins everything you do, it actually looks genuine and it actually looks yep. real and people notice it and appreciate it. So I suppose they're the, probably the two biggest things that I've learned of
0: bringing all mm. people together and getting them all on the same page i love that and it's really integrity what you're talking about yeah doing what you say you'll Absolutely. do these are your values living that out and and having a having something bigger i mean i, I know you want a uh, on a personal level i know there's some pretty strong drivers i know this is a tangent from the multidisciplinary angle but uh having those strong personal convictions how do you communicate that across to people of all different walks and backgrounds and science and faith and all that stuff how do you tied all together?
1: Yeah, that's a real, again, it's a great question. And look, you're going to find some people, it isn't for them. Um, and I suppose that's where the, the, having that clear vision is really important because it helps very quickly help me determine who's going to be on my bus. Because yeah. if they don't light up about what it is that we're doing, if they don't get it, if they're not genuinely interested or they're just trying to... And a lot of people now, I'm, I'm knocking back specialists that wanting to leverage our business and what we're doing. Mm. They are high level specialists that you know they'll earn huge amounts of money for you but they're just going to completely dismantle the whole philosophy so it's really about being being able to pick those right people and know that they light up and that makes a massive difference when it comes to what you're trying to build
0: mm, i love that and, and you know it's got nothing to do with clinical skills really it's uh it's picking up people and deselecting the wrong people Super exactly. okay so you've alluded to specialists and health professionals and what sort of professions do you have at atune that are a little bit out of the ordinary and how have you yep. gone about what was the strategy behind that firstly um so what do you mean as in the like specialists and doctors or yeah yeah so you've got GPS and orthopedic specialists is that right
1: yep um so now we have a have a gynecologist we have GPS and then we have psychiatrists there's psychologists and then pretty much all the allied health um, underneath that so physios osteopaths um, massage naturopaths dietitians so pretty much the whole range so i suppose the philosophy or the aim of doing that is that firstly we're looking for the people that want to be a part of something that's a bit different that light up with our integrated model so that's number one that's so key then then what we're doing is we're bringing them all together and to have a naturopath and a dietitian and a GP and an osteopath all working together on one client, and all aligned in the fact that we all actually have meetings about that client together. What it does is streamlines the whole pathway for them. So rather than them running around doing everything, we're all on the same page. We're all working towards the same goal, and you know we can. You know the naturopath and the, and the GP can work out to make sure that the interactions of the herbs and the medications are actually going to work for this client right. and then we also know where the client's at we can have a bit of a baseline of what they wanted to achieve and so how we and each of our modalities can actually achieve that so really it was about bringing together like-minded people who want to see integration work and then developing pathways to actually bring and achieve um, health outcomes for, for for
0: your clients essentially because that's really what it's all about in the end mm, okay great Talk to us about GPs. I'm sure it's yep. on the mind of a lot of private practice clinic owners. What challenges yep. did you come across when recruiting and trying to integrate GPs into a, an employment or a work model, so to speak?
1: Yeah. Um, look, probably one of the biggest uh, problems is that GPs and specialists as well um, are very high up the chain and they have a very much a, we're very special top people and they are and there's no doubt about that. Sure. Um, And that's that's going to be a problem when it comes to an integrated center because you can't necessarily have this hierarchy because we're all working together. And so it was very important for us to find like-minded people who had a a bit of humility about them in the fact that, you know what, I'm a GP, I'm part of the team. Um, I'm a specialist, I just want to be part of the team. Um, And so when looking for GPs, and look, we have GPs, you know, I probably get inquiry once a month now which is quite amazing to think that we've got GPs coming to us actually wanting to work for us. And a lot of them I'm saying no to because of certain reasons, they're just not going to fit. I suppose when it comes to employing a GP, it's about having something unique that they're after that they can't get anywhere else and having something that's bigger than them that they want to be a part of. And I suppose that's the thing. They're just like anybody else. They want to be a part of something that is meaningful, that has purpose. Um, They don't necessarily just want to work and see clients. And I suppose that's the thing that we've found with all of our specialists and all our GPs, if you've got something that's a bit bigger than yourself and is unique for them that they really resonate with and they'll take pay cuts to come and work for something like a June because of yep. what it is. Um, and that's what we found.
0: That's, that's amazing. And you, you know, you're right at the end of the day, we're, we're talking about people here, <laughs> yeah. although there's uh, there's culture and history and tradition in the medical space. We're dealing with humans that are looking for somewhere to find fulfillment and, and do what they love. Talk to us a little bit about the, um, the practicalities. I'm sure a lot of allied health professionals would think contractors and you know, complex arrangements when it comes to GPs and super clinics. Is that a bit of a myth or how have you been able to navigate that framework of employment and contracting?
1: Yeah, look, it is a bit of a myth. To be
0: honest, GPs are just that. They're
1: just another contractor. Mm-hmm. You can employ a GP as easily as you can employ a physio. Um, or or an osteopath. It's just a matter of of having a system that pretty much, and that's the way we've designed our our arrangements with the different professionals we've had, and whether it be a specialist or whether it be a GP. Now, specialists are a little bit different. There is a few different technicalities with specialists because they are so high level and they have a whole bunch of different billing mechanisms. But pretty much on the whole, yeah, look, the the GP just fits into the system that you already develop. And so we've got a whole contractor arrangement that is set up that is standard, Uh, and they just fall into that. Probably one of the things that's really important for people to understand is that in an integrated setting, you need to have a leader. You need to have someone who is able to coordinate or lead each area. Um, And that's important um, because if you don't have a good leader that's leading the GP area or leading the physio area or leading the osteo area or dietetics, then what tends to happen is that you've just you've just got people working there, but they're not actually progressing it and bringing it all together in the business. So um, making sure that you get those key people in key positions is also quite an important thing. And you know, our key GP was probably very important in the fact that he came on board. You know, We pay them to be leaders. We don't pay them just to be clinicians. And that's important to understand in terms of making the rest of that GP department work well. So he oversights that now and he makes that all happen. But he's that key person that pins everything else for us.
0: Yeah, it's great. Thank you for uh, debunking that myth. And, you know, in the the Clinic Mastery Business Academy, we work with a a number of clinics who employ GPs as part of a multidisciplinary environment. And you're right, there is this stigma around we can't do that because we're allied health and they're medical, but it works so nicely together. Another practicality that I would love to explore, Simon, would be the evidence-based practice of such a range of different Professional yeah. <laughs> how does that work? How does it play out I'm sure there's some interesting yeah. lunchtime discussions in the lunchroom oh, look
1: it has and look it's been a lot of discussion to be honest we have um, we've employed someone to try and do some research for with us to because to, I mean we see the clinical results like right. and you you would know that you see the incredible results we have doctors writing to us saying we have no idea what you guys are doing but it's phenomenal <laughs> um, which it. is quite amazing but to actually clinically evaluate that and to to show that because there's so many spinning parts it's it's extremely difficult because when you individualize care for that one person they might need that naturopath or they might need a dietitian, or they might need the ep it's n equals one yeah that's right so it's so hard to to bring it down to something that you can actually verify apart from a clinical study that shows this is where they were and this is where they've come to be so one of the things that we are Um, toying with is actually having a a whole clinic survey that they fill out that says where their health is at there's a few templates that we do and then they fill that out afterwards it sort of shows the progression but even then that's there's so many flaws in showing that but that's what we're looking at at the moment and um yeah we would love to find some yep this is the answer to showing how beneficial it is but at this point it's it's a bit tricky <laughs> and how do you manage you have the money to, to, to throw at it? To be honest, that's the problem. You know, sure. You know, when you've, got a, when you've got a private practice, there's only so much money that goes around and you could spend a lot of money to really make it good, but there's so much money involved in doing something like that.
0: Yeah, you're right. Um, and, you know, we don't need to turn this into a clinical discussion. I think the listeners and those that are attracted to the Grand My Clinic podcast are fairly abundant minded and would say, You know, you're right. If the client has a great experience and the client gets outcomes, then it's okay to put aside our philosophical differences on treatment approaches or evidence-based practice or whatever that might be, because it's the client that really matters. However, I'm sure there's some, there's some conflicts. What do you do as a leader to manage conflict in the workplace, whether it's science-based or personality-based, how do you lead and manage conflict? That's a great question. Look, we, um, in our induction process, we um, it's
1: very, very important to flag conflict early, particularly in an integrated centre because you're going to have conflict. You're going to have sure. physiological differences. Um, and so we talk about um, with, our, um, with all our team about healthy conflict, that it's really important to have right. healthy conflict. and We want to promote healthy conflict as opposed to unhealthy conflict. And so what sure. we do is we talk about what's unhealthy and what is healthy. Well, unhealthy is not talking about it and not actually you know, saying anything and just moving along and just dealing with it. Whereas healthy is actually, we want to have these robust discussions. And as a leader, it's important that you model that. So I am very much, you know, people will talk to me about the different problems they're having. I'm the first person that often wants to hear about it. But then if there is a conflict, then we just talk it through. And then we get to a point where, you know what, we're not necessarily going to agree. And one of the classic ones is the physio-osteo, whether you use heat or whether you use, use ice. (laughs) <laughs> um and I tend to use ice a lot on anything and physios tend to use heat we've had this discussion multiple times and in the end really look whatever the outcome is going to be clinically you can test it one way or the other there can be research that says this or that um but what we tend to find is you know major on the majors and some of those little minor things Do they really matter in the in the scheme of things anyway well not really but at least if we've talked about it and we've had a robust discussion and we understand that that's okay we're not going to get offended then what that tends to do is actually keep the keep the communications open, and what we find is that in the end we come to some resolution, which is great anyway, and everyone just moves on, and we just tick that off as a okay. Well, we need to keep on checking what that issue is about as as and make sure it doesn't grow into a big one. But look, to be honest, because of the way we we've, we've structured that healthy conflict, we've hardly had any conflicts at all in our whole business with the GPs and the naturopaths. They've worked amazingly well together, um, mm-hmm. and. Once you start to understand what other professions do, you actually get amazed at actually how intelligent they are and what they've actually been trained in and how similar it actually is to what you do, but it's just coming from a different way. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's been our experience. But, yeah, very much ensuring that people talk about those things is really important.
0: Simon, I I think a lot of health professionals would have an idealistic, maybe a a utopian view of integrated care and big multi D team, Uh, but at the end of the day, you're just an osteopath. <laughs> so what sorry, with respect, not just an osteopath. No, you're an osteopath. Yes. How do you manage as a leader all the non-clinical elements of running a clinic versus being on the tools? And that's obviously your your first love, it might not be your true passion. How do you juggle on the tools, off the tools, leading a large organization? Um, it's having great people around you
1: that right. that fill in the things that that I don't do so well. So I've got an amazing um, operations manager. Um And office managers now. So um, we identify as a leader. Your role is to actually find the greatness in the people that you work with, whether that be you know the massage therapist or whether it be the like operations manager. You're looking for people who can do things better than you. And so as a leader, my role is essentially is to let others do what they do great, and they feel a part of the company, they feel a part of the business. And if I find someone that does that, then I let them run with that, and I step back and I just helicopter. Um, and that frees me up when it comes to being on the tools. I love being an osteopath and I'll always do a little bit of that, but right. more for me now is I need to be the leader that this organization needs. So I need to be willing to grow and to learn and to keep the business growing because otherwise we're going to stagnate um, and not achieve the potential that we know that we have. So it's important to get that juggle right. But as a leader, I also think, you know, getting that team around you the, the key people is so important.
0: Yeah, totally agree. One of uh, my mentors, people that I listen to a lot, Craig Rochelle talks about doing what only you can do, getting out of the way. And if if someone else can do what you do, 50, 60, 70% as good as you, let them do it and empower it and, uh, and make room. I love that. Totally. Uh, Simon, if you were talking to a, a health clinic owner who's considering multi-D clinic, considering employing GPs and specialists, what would your advice be to them?
1: Like My advice would be, respect respect every single health profession don't be someone who is disrespectful because that straight away um, puts a black mark on you that people will react to um, so there's something about respecting where people are at and who they are which is so important have a vision um, that is way bigger than yourself that, mm. that people are attracted to and also develop a, a culture so it's not just about having a vision it's showing what you uh, you know as i said before for living those values and that culture. And if you do so, people will recognize that and they'll be attracted to that. And the right people will be attracted to what it is that you're doing. And it would just naturally snowball from there. But do it well, um, do it with passion. And I think you'll find that people will will jump on. But um, if you have that vision, that's that's such a critical thing because you want Mm. people to know this is where we're headed and then you'll get the right people on your bus. Super
0: stuff mate uh, I'm sure the listeners will be really appreciative of all that you've shared I know personally you've been an inspiration to me and I love your humility that you're you're doing great things but you'd say that you haven't got it all together and it's a work in progress but but what you've done in the health space certainly in our region is an example to many health clinics and health clinic owners so uh, thank you so much if listeners wanted to check out Assune and what it is that you do how would they do that mate where would they look? yeah, just look on www.attune and attune is just one T.
1: Um, so it's atune.com.au. Yeah, you can check us out and see
0: what we're up to. And yeah, I'm more than happy to,
1: to talk to people who need advice as well.
0: Yeah, great. And we really appreciate that. Uh, I'm sure they can reach out to you via that website if they wanted to contact you Personally, they'd be able to find your email there. Simon, thank you so much for joining us on the Grow My Clinic podcast. Listeners, we will have links to attune tune to Simon and to any of the other show notes from this episode over at www.clinicmastery.com forward slash podcast. I better get the URL right. It's clinicmastery.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for your honest reviews and ratings on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify. We're now on Spotify. If you've got Google Home or Alexa, you can ask them to uh, to share with you the Grow My Clinic podcast. Thank you for tuning in, listeners. Simon, thank you for joining us.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's been
0: awesome. And we look forward to bringing you another episode really soon. This is the Grow My Clinic podcast by Clinic Mastery, where we help you deliver amazing client experiences to grow your clinic.